I call to order the Iowa City Conference Board meeting that is held between Johnson County Board of Supervisors, Iowa City City Council, and Iowa City Community School Board member. Today, today is Tuesday, February 18, 2020, and the time is right at 5 p.m. And I want to uh, go ahead and uh, uh, do the roll call. Uh, Iowa City Council members present. Burgess? Here. Mims? Here. Sully? Yeah. Taylor? Here. Teague? Here. Thomas? Here. Weiner? Here. Uh, Johnson County Supervisors? Green Douglas? Here. Hayden? Porter? Uh, Reddig? Here. Sullivan? Here. Uh, Iowa City School Board? Eastham? Here. Wrestler? Malone? We do have a quorum. The school won't have a vote without two people. But. Okay, great. Thanks. That was item number B. Moving on to item number C. Could I have a motion to approve the minutes for the January 21st, 2020 conference board meeting? So moved. Second. Moved by... Uh, um, Sullivan. 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 I think I actually... County. 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 Yeah. County. And uh, seconded by City. Uh, City of Iowa City. Okay. Any discussion on this? All right. Um, all in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes. Item number D, fiscal year 2021 budget. Um, so are you going to kind of elaborate on this a little bit? Uh, I could. Uh, basically, I presented the budget last month at our, our meeting. Uh, uh, kind of included in the cover letter what the what the different uh, sure. uh, changes are. Um, don't really have any additional. Okay. Awesome. Oh, actually, okay. one thing I did want to report back on from our first meeting it was the question came up whether our office is audited. Mm. Oh, uh, the I talked with our county finance director, and uh, his answer is technically no. Uh, and here's what he said to me. The county is the fiscal agent for the city assessor's office, and we present some limited financial information in our annual financial report that reflects your year-end agency fund financial position uh, and a summary of the changes in your various assets, liabilities, and fund balance for the year. So technically, no. Uh, but they're the do, fiscal agent, so that we, covers a lot. Right, yeah. We, we, don't, we don't handle any money in our office. We make claims the auditor... Uh, make the payments okay. once we've provided the proper documentation and, and we don't collect taxes, the treasurer does that, so. Great. Thank you. Thanks. I'm going to open up the public hearing. And then any discussion on the proposed budget after uh, some of the things that were just mentioned? And is there anyone from the public that would like to address this topic? Seeing there is none, I'm going to close the public hearing. Could I have a motion to adopt fiscal year 2021 budget? So moved. Second. Moved by City of Iowa City, seconded by the county. Any discussion? All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes. Item E, board comments. I know that uh, you and I were a part of the team as well as uh, school board member uh, Charlie Eastham. And 
it was um, just kind of nice to go through that process and get a greater understanding um, of you know the budget and how it really does affect our community so yeah thanks for uh, all that you do and, and your team Welcome. thanks and I agree I think that meeting which has only been going on for I don't know last eight years or so is, a, is definitely a good uh, opportunity to, for, for us to share what we what we do right. with the committee so great if there are no other comments could I get a motion to adjourn so moved second moved by county seconded by the city of Iowa City all in favor say aye aye any opposed we are adjourned Man, that was exhausting. <laughs> you guys have fun. Thanks for saving. Yes. Good to see all of you. We'll catch you on TV. <laughs> we'll wave at us. Okay. <laughs> at exactly nine o'clock. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. See you. See ya. Yes. We spent a lot of time on We are transitioning over to the City of Iowa City City Council um, work session for February 18, 2020. And um, our first item on the agenda is the discussion of the development proposal on 400 block of North Clinton Street, which is IP4. And hello. Good afternoon, uh, Mayor and Council Ann Russett with Neighborhood and Development Services. As the mayor mentioned, this is a discussion on the 400 block of North Clinton Street. Here's an overview of my presentation. This site actually has quite a bit of background, so I'm going to go over the history of the site and where we're at today and, and why, we're, why we're discussing it now. Um, I'm going to share some images of the existing development on these sites as well as the proposed development. I'll cover the comments that we've received to date from um, some stakeholder groups in the community, including the Preservation Commission and Friends of Historic Preservation. I'm going to go over a summary of the existing condition, kind of what's on the ground now today and what could be built under the current zoning and then what has been proposed for the site. And then we have some questions for council. And what we're really looking forward um, for from the council tonight is some direction moving forward on next steps. So this is an aerial of the site. It's for, again, it's 410 412 North Clinton Street. It's identified in red. And then 400 North Clinton Street and 112 East Davenport Street. Uh, this is Courier Residence Hall to the west. In terms of background, this started back in 2018 where the city council considered a local landmark designation for 410-412 North Clinton Street. 
They then dis deferred the decision on that local landmark designation to January 2019 while staff explored a citywide transfer of development rights ordinance. And the purpose of the TDR program was to explore if there was interest in creating a citywide policy where property owners could locally landmark a historic property and then transfer some of the development potential from that historic site to an alternative site, a receiving site where the development was more appropriate. Staff spent some several months working on that ordinance. Um, the ordinance ultimately was not passed. So um, in January of 2019, council reconsidered the local landmark designation. And although there was support for the designation, the vote required a supermajority and it failed at council. After the failed vote, um, staff reached out to the property owner of 410-412 North Clinton Street to explore options for a voluntary local landmark designation. And the property, was, property owner was open to exploring a scenario where the city would grant extra development potential for 400 North Clinton Street and 112 East Davenport Street in exchange for the local landmark designation of 410-412 North Clinton Street. Um, we have received some concepts for that redevelopment, development, which I'll share. Um, last month, staff presented this redevelopment option to the Commission, Historic Preservation Commission, and received some comments. And then a few weeks ago, the property owner submitted a demolition application for 410-412 North Clinton Street. So again, the proposal is to locally landmark 410-412 in exchange for uh, extra development potential for these two sites here, 400 North Clinton and 112 East Davenport. Here are some images of what's on the ground today. This is the historic property at 410-412. This is the, the building at 400 North Clinton Street. and the building at 112 East Davenport Street. And here's a view from the southwest corner looking at um, 410 and 400 North Clinton Street. And then across the street to the west is Courier Residence Hall. Next, I'm gonna share the plans which have been submitted by the property owner for the redevelopment of 400 North Clinton and 112 East Davenport. Here is the Here's 410-412, the historic property. And then this is the proposed redevelopment right here. This is showing um, the underground parking, 21 parking spaces that would be provided underground. Um, in total, it's a six-story block-scale building with a total of 30 dwelling units. Access to the parking is provided via the alley to the north through the 410-412 property. Here's an elevation, uh, the Clinton Street elevation, and the Davenport Street elevation. So again, this is uh, 671 bedrooms, 300 units, or 30 units, excuse me. So some of the comments that we received um, since uh, staff has started exploring this with the property owner. Um, we presented this to council several months ago, the previous city council, and there was an interest in exploring a four-story structure that was similar to Courier Hall, and um, there was interest in having a high level of design review to ensure that the development would be compatible with the existing neighborhood. Staff also received comments from Friends of Historic Preservation. <coughs> they were concerned about the demolition of 400 North Clinton Street. 
but they also felt that 410, 412 was too important not to try to save. Um, however, they wanted us to consider some additional provisions, um, one of which was the, the rehab of 410 North Clinton Street in compliance with the Secretary of Interior standards for the exterior. Um, ensuring a compatible adjacent use, a design review on the rehab work by the Historic Preservation Planner and the Historic Preservation Commission, a discussion of listing in the National Register and tax credits, and design review of the new building um, to maybe include the Preservation Commission, and then lastly, any salvage of any buildings that would be demolished. Staff presented this concept at the commission's meeting last month, and um, Friends of Historic Preservation were also at this meeting, and they reiterated the importance of 410, 412 North Clinton Street. Um, they did recommend some design changes to the proposed building that was um, that I just uh, showed to you. They recommended removing the sixth sixth story, um, allowing the fifth story to be built without a step back, and replacing the gabled roof with a flat roof to, to help reduce the scale. Um, we also discussed this with the Historic Preservation Commission. Um, there was, there was some concern that the properties, that historic properties are being held hostage, that, um, that the history of the community is being leveraged for private gain. And ideally that they'd also like to see 400 North Clinton Street saved, but they also, um, the main takeaway was that they, they thought it was important to work with the property owner to achieve an Iowa City landmark designation for 410, 412 North Clinton Street. They were interested in exploring the recommended changes to, de, to the design that Friends of Historic Preservation outlined. They also expressed a need similar to Friends of Historic Preservation for rehab on the historic structure. They recommended transparency in the process in terms of the public benefits that would be received versus the bonus heights or the, the private gains that would be received by the property owner. And that there was a concern that certain features of the build, built environment, such as height, um, that th those need to be um, carefully considered. There was also um, an interest in exploring a more comprehensive so solution, um, something similar maybe to a, a transfer of development rights ordinance um, instead of negotiating these on a case-by-case -case basis. One of the questions that was raised by the commission um, was what could be built on the sites right now, what's there currently, and so I'm gonna share a few slides um, that outline what's there now and what could be redeveloped. This was, this was not shared with the commission at the time though. Um, so let's start with 410, 412 North Clinton Street. In terms of existing conditions, it's zoned RM44, which is high density multifamily. There are currently 18 dwelling units and nine parking spaces. In terms of maximum redevelopment potential, the maximum number of units would be 24. Um, that's just based, that's a straightforward density calculation. It doesn't incorporate any of the other zoning regulations, setback, um, building coverage, open space parking. Um, the open space requirement for 24 units is 2,400 square feet and 24 parking spaces, and the maximum height would be 35 feet. Looking at 400 North Clinton Street and 112 East Davenport Street to the south, it's also zoned RM44. There are 11 units there currently and seven parking spaces. If it was redeveloped under the existing zoning RM44, they could get a maximum of 24 units, 
again, um, that's not incorporating other zoning regulations. Um, there would be a minimum open space requirement of 2,400 square feet, 24 parking spaces, and the maximum height would be 35 feet. If this site was rezoned to PRM, they could get a few more units up to 27, but they would also need um, more open space and more parking. The PRM zone does have bonus provisions that allow increases in height, um, reduced setbacks. So the, the PRM zone um, with the current <coughs> bonus provisions allows up to 65 feet with those bonuses. This slide summarizes uh, what the property owner has proposed. So it would be a rezoning to PRM. <coughs> the number of units proposed is 30. That's 71 bedrooms. Um, there's currently no open space shown on the plan. There are uh, 21 parking spaces. It's a six-story structure. And based on these plans, um, they, would sh they show that the following would need to be, the following zoning regulations would need to be waived or modified. So it'd be reduced setbacks, increased height, increased density, increased building coverage, reduced parking, and reduced open space. So this would require a text amendment to, to our zoning code to allow more than what the current PRM zoning provisions allow. And this, this table is just kind of a summary of the existing conditions versus potential redevelopment, um, just all in one slide. So with that, um, we have several questions for the city council tonight, <coughs> um, which are up on the screen right now. I'll just walk through those. Um, we we want to know if the city council wants staff to continue coordinating with the property owner on the design of the building and draft the necessary code changes. Um, we're interested to know if there are certain code changes that the city council would not support. For example, reduced parking, increased density, reduced open space. Um, we're interested to know what type of design process the city council envisions. If this property is rezoned to PRM, that would allow a multifamily building to be built there through a staff level administrative review. So if there is more process that the council envisions, we'd kind of like to know what that would look like. Um, there would be obviously a rezoning process, so that would be a discretionary review that would come to, to the city council as well. And then if there are any other factors that city council would like staff to consider. Um, just to, to give some examples, there have been several items that have come up through this discussion. One, the rehab of 410, 412 North Clinton Street, salvage of um, building materials, that type of thing. So that concludes my presentation. Thank you. Okay. Any questions for Ann? So we have questions before us that staff want. So maybe we'll start with number one. And that is, does the staff want staff to continue coordinating with the property owners on this design of the building and draft the necessary code changes? And we might, I don't know if people have comments just on in general about the project itself that you want to throw out there first. Yeah, to me, 
there's some other issues that need to be answered before that first question can be answered and in terms of what sure. kind of code changes that we could agree to or not agree to for mm -hmm. 400 um, North Clinton and 112 uh, is it Davenport. When I look at that, um, the proposed building there, to me it doesn't fit at all in that neighborhood. Um, you know, most of those are two, two and a half story, I think, buildings around there, more house style dimension buildings. Um, when we had talked about it before, we had talked about, you know, if we were going to support something like that, then certainly nothing taller than Burge. This is significantly taller than that. And just the whole block long building to me doesn't fit. And so I, I feel like we're in a I feel like we're in a real, real quandary um, in terms of where do people put more priority, and that is in preserving uh, 410, <clears throat> 412 um, versus this. I mean, because to preserve that to, at this point with what's being proposed, we're, you know, what's being asked is something I wouldn't support. So I, I mean, I'll just leave it at that for this point. I think in response to that, Susan, I think it was described pretty clearly uh, as those properties being held hostage uh, for the approval of, of this property. And when I first saw the pictures, I, I was excited, having lived in Courier many, many years ago. I thought, oh, that looks just like Courier. And then I realized, no, that this is much taller, the six stories. And I think we'd made it clear, one of the points was that we'd made it clear that perhaps four stories at the max. Uh, I, I do feel it's important to preserve 410, 412, <coughs> and I would wish and hope that the developer and property owner would act in good faith and, and work with us on that. If I could just comment on that, I think I, I, I want to stress to you that staff initiated this discussion. So the council, the council had a chance to designate it, and it was a very high uh, threshold to do so. A supermajority is very hard, but um, I personally don't think it's fair to characterize this particular example as, as holding a, a, a property hostage. Um, the owner doesn't even own or control this property. This would involve the owner buying this property in order to preserve that. So from my standpoint, we as a city had a chance to preserve that. We decided not to for, for good reason. Um, and I think that the developer has invested time and money in developing a concept that would work for, for them. Um, you know, they have to look at the economics of it, and I think that's what has led to this this point. So I just want to be cautious about um, looking at it like it's like it's being held hostage. hostage. There's a solution out there. It may not be a great solution. It may not be a solution worth pursuing, but I do appreciate the fact that the, the owner was willing to work with us to this point. Yeah, I certainly appreciate the effort everyone has put into this to try to come to a in a resolution which would be satisfactory to all the concerns. And so in a way, my one of my concerns with respect to that is, and it was referenced in the staff presentation, the question of uh, transparency in the process. Because I'd, I'd like to have, insofar as I view this um, as, as a negotiation that's being driven by, in a sense, a transfer of development rights on a kind of uh, case basis, um, how how do we go through that negotiation? You know, what is 
you know, staff did, and this is the first time I'd seen kind of a, a matrix indicating, you know, what could happen under current zoning, what could happen under PRM, and so forth. You know, to try to, uh, in good faith, negotiate alternatives for the design uh, based on how we would each, the city through staff and and the the developer find a mutually satisfactory solution with respect to how both sides can feel whole at the end of that process and you know i i'm not clear how the proposal as developed it reflects that because you know we we don't know what the um i i don't know what staff's response is in terms of what, what, how we would estimate the value of that development to be. I think it would be important to have an understanding, kind of like we would with a TIF process in a sense, um, you know, try to monetize what it is that's being negotiated so we have a better idea of what the options are um, and how they benefit uh, all the parties. So, so that's something I, I, I kind of see as missing. You know, how do we... Um, how do we on the city side with staff understand the, that kind of cost analysis that <clears throat> I think I would think we could easily translate from various proposals as to what you know what the value of what the land is now monetarily and what the value would be with different with different options I'm personally willing to uh, in terms of some of these questions explore um, the parking requirement, you know, and, and this is a transit corridor in my view. It is something where I, I think uh, it would be worth considering whether we could waive the parking requirement and, and let that be determined by the developer. Uh, given that there is considerable transit running through this corridor, and we're looking, you know, I tend to want to be looking forward in terms of issues related to transportation because I, I do tend to think the way we've viewed the world is changing and that how that would be reflected in our parking requirement, especially in a location where it seems um, we, we might be able to accept a lower level of parking, off-street parking to, to put that on the table. This was a project that um, I was really interested in preserving. Uh, historically, and we didn't get the uh, supermajority vote. And so I'm happy to actually see this back um, before council uh, just for the possibility of it potentially being preserved. Um, when I think about the area, and I know that some councilors have already talked about like the area, um, it, it really is an area that when we're looking at um, high density and, and the proposed project, um, I don't think it's appropriate, and so that's where my interest in trying to figure out how can we reserve, um, you know, 410, 412 uh, to be historic. One of the questions that I do have, I know that the Historic Preservation did do a presentation um, or, you know, submitted some stuff. Has the developers actually responded in any fashion to any of their requests? Um, not that I'm aware of, no. Okay, because sometimes I think that 
could be the first, you know, maybe we'll make some comments and hopefully um, staff can navigate with the developers, kind of what we're thinking. And, and for me, this isn't a, uh, the end of the conversation. I would hope that the developer would uh, be willing to come back and talk to us about this, um, that this is just the start of the dialogue, um, just to get what counselors are thinking and then maybe, you know, go back, think about it, and then come back with, um, you know, ways of how they see that they can move forward, um, you know, with this project, with some of the things in mind. Uh, of course, it, you know, I, I would be um, not realistic if I was to believe that everything that we said they would, you know, actually do. But I think it's an opportunity to have a great conversation. And, um, you know, it did lack supermajority, but there are some positives for this particular project that I think the council is interested in. For me, the... Again, um, I think some of the historic preservation um, comments, um, I, I really agree with um, at least two of them that I wanted to at least point out. Um, that is, you know, maybe going down to five stories. Um, and the other is, you know, that setback. Um, and so, um, those are the two. And when it comes down to the parking, I think when we're talking about climate action and that type stuff, um, this might be a project where um, I would be willing to decrease the parking requirements. Um, we have uh, our transit study, which is actually on our agenda uh, to get an update about today. Um, climate action, you know, that's something that is, you know, the council is really dedicated to. So for me, those are probably the three things that um, I just wanted to make mention here today. I also agree with most of the, what my fellow council said. Um, to me, it's really this big change from the current existing, like design and like building there to suddenly six-story building. This is concern for me, and I think so. Uh, I want to see like four to five, maybe. Uh, but uh, it is very good idea to just go back to the property owner and sit down and talk with him if he they can agree to do this. Yeah. Yeah, I'd also be interested in the context of when the council previously was talking about the transfer of development rights, that the conversation was like, okay, maybe something up to four that would match courier. That was in the context of still preserving and transferring rights, right, at that time? Not as, this, not as part of the citywide ordinance, but after... But for this specific yes, project, yes, okay. Yeah. So, do is there any insight as to how we got from that sort of guidance that the council provided at that time to the six-story kind of full block proposal? Um, well, we provided those comments to the property owner, and they proposed a, the six-story building, which is before you. So we've 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 had a couple of um, back and forths as staff with the with the property owner to try to. Uh, bring it more in line with the council direction from that uh, work session that, that's uh, being talked about now. Uh, at the end of the day, I think the message that we've gotten back is in order for the economics to work, they need X number of units, and right now that puts them at six stories. So if I think what we're trying to gauge here is, is six a hard, is there a hard no on six, then that's good to know. We'll go back and say, if there's any way to make five work, four to five, whatever whatever you feel is appropriate, then we'll give it a go. 
council just needs to understand if, if that's a hard line at six, it, it may not go forward. And that, of course, could put both properties in, in jeopardy uh, in terms of uh, demolishing the existing structures. Are they willing to give any transparency as to that economic analysis? Representative is here. We certainly haven't required them to submit any economic analysis. Um, I, I don't know if they'd be willing to do that or not. You, you, we can look at the um, the matrix that you that you put up. Maybe if you could put the summary matrix up, and I think you can get a, a, a decent sense um, for the, the the potential for units. So you know, if you just look across the yellow column, there is what they're uh, proposing, which would be 30 units. And uh, with the uh, redevelopment, uh, you're going to get uh, a max of 48. Realistically, it'll be some number smaller than that because of all the other regulations. Um, but I, I don't think what they're asking for far exceeds, certainly, if it exceeds at all, what the potential would be if both those properties were raised and, and developed under the current zoning code. Is that accurate, Anne? So um, if, the, if all of the properties are raised... 410, 412, uh, 400, and 112 are all raised, they're likely... Uh, should, maybe that's not, that's not a fair... It's, it's probable that they could get more than 30 units. Uh, with all of those sites combined, right. yeah. Right. So, but again, to circle back to your direct question, no, we haven't requested any type of economic analysis. And, and if I could just add regarding the six stories versus the five, um, the, in the, the plans show that those upper units are two-story units. So I'm not sure what, if, if it would be a, a great reduction in the number of units if the, if the six-story was removed. So um, that's something that we could ask the developer about. I, I did a little bit of looking at, you know, I, I was looking at some of the background information on this, and there was some discussion of form-based coding. We don't have it for this particular area. I, I did look at some other draft form-based codes in other cities, and they have code requirements for any, any building proposed adjacent to an historic resource. So there are kind of ways in which we could access some of that information just by, you know, kind of looking at other codes where such a requirement is, is identified. But th this project has this issue again of height and mass. I mean, this is a very, you know, it's a six-story building, but it's also a kind of a massive building and with limited amount of articulation to break up that mass. And that's part of what I think the, you would find with these form-based codes, is that they would identify ways in which the massing of the building could be articulated in a way where it wouldn't quite seem like such a block. You know, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a block form and a block shape. And how do we break down that massing so it doesn't seem quite so large? That, that might have an impact in addition to changing the roof design to reducing the impact of six stories. Another thing I might be thinking about is, is these, this building is to the south of our historic resource, so the height of it 
will have an impact in terms of sunlight uh, reaching the structure. So if there were a way of, and again, this is kind of part of a massing study to, to, to mass it in such a way that that's acknowledged so that the, this, the impacts on sun access would be considered in the, in the massing of the project. And I guess, oh, oh, go ahead, sorry. I guess I have a question on this like diagram. This is um, a little bit confusing to me. When you say redevelopment rezoning to PRM and under height, you say 35 feet up to 65 with bonuses. Like, how many stories is that? Like, and you say 60 story, that's what they propose. And here you just don't tell us the story and it's just like height. Is that the same, like 60-story also? It, it, yeah, you could probably get a six-story building with 65. Or 65. Feet. Yeah. Okay. And the 35 is? That's the that's the base. That's, that's the base three, maximum. Three or the? Three, yes, three, three stories, yeah. Okay. Do we have an actual um, dimension on the six stories? Too? I don't know the, the height and feet, just in stories, yeah. Because that matters too. I mean, yeah. I think ultimately what we're talking about is the actual height of the building, not the floors, in my view. And also for the for the bedrooms number, I, I really want to compare if we did a redevelopment to like resuming to PRM, how many bedroom will be there? And uh, they, uh, the ask is 30 unit, 71 bedroom. But what about the PRM? How many bedroom will it be? So the the PRM zone without any um, bonus provisions would be 27 units maximum. Uh -huh. um, so even with the bonus provisions in the PRM zone, you couldn't get what they have proposed. Oh, so that's can... why we would need the additional text amendments to the code that would allow them to go above and beyond what the current bonus provisions allow. Yeah, but is the difference like really big difference? Because I want to compare it if mm -hmm. it's like really huge different or just. Um, let me see here. I thought I had a summary. So they'd be asking for more units, so three more units, so it'd be an increase in density. Um, they'd be asking for a reduction in open space. Currently, there isn't that type of bonus provision offered, so that would be new. They're asking for a parking reduction, um, which is also new, something that isn't currently allowed by the code. Mm -hmm. um, they're asking for reduced setbacks beyond what the current bonus provisions allow. Um, and increased, uh, kind of along with that, increased building coverage. I see. Okay. So th the exact numbers I don't have, but generally that's what they, they yes. would be required based on what has currently been proposed. Okay, get you. I think for the benefit of the new council and maybe even for the public's sake, can you just talk about um, what it entails to rezone from the 44 to the um, PRM? Yeah, that would that would have to go to uh, the city planning and zoning commission for review and recommendation to city council. So it would be it would be an uh, amendment to our map, our zoning map, and then a text of the code as well. So it would be two separate rezonings 
um, that would that would go together through that same process through through planning commission and to city council. Right. Really basic question about the textual amendment to the zoning code: Is it specific to just that property, so it wouldn't be applied throughout the PRM zone? Um, we haven't really gotten into the details of what the amendment would look like, but it would be, we would want to keep it narrow, so it would be associated with the preservation of a historic structure, is the, is the thought at this point. But in theory, then that maybe could be applied to other similar scenarios where you had someone wanting to do something like this? I, I guess if that's something the council doesn't want us to explore, we could, we could get it as narrow as possible. And that's also one of the reasons why we like the PRM zone better than the um, the current zone is because the PRM is kind of a uh, there's not a whole lot of PRM left. It's a it's a zoning classification that's largely been phased out of the community, uh, whereas the RM44 is still widely used throughout the city. So I think we could tear it. Uh, narrow it um, enough to where, in all likelihood, it would just apply to this property. Mm -hmm. And, and PRM is planned residential multifamily, is that? Yeah, that's correct. Mm -hmm. And can you tell me, I just got two or three questions here. By right, the property owner could raise all four of these properties, correct? Yes. Okay. And so with the grid that you had up there, keeping them separate, they could redevelop <coughs> 410, 412 with a maximum of 24 units, and they could redevelop 400 North Clinton and 112 East Davenport with 24 units, correct? That's right, not considering the other zoning regulations such as parking and open space. So those, okay, so those could very well be reduced yes. once you start getting into the nitty gritty of, of those issues. Okay. What about, um, are, would there be any restrictions in terms of how large that building is? In other words, could somebody combine these, say, four parcels and put one huge building on there, accommodating the parking and open space requirements? Yeah, they could. It could be a block scale building that's 35 feet high maximum. Um, it would be subject to our multifamily site development standards but um, it could be one building. Was there any discussion of demolishing the apartment building behind the historic building as part of one, a scenario, or was that not considered? We discussed that with the property owner very early on, and, and there wasn't an, an interest, interest okay. to do that. Well, just so we don't lose sight of it, I am interested in the um, rehabilitation and salvage recommendations from, um, I think it was, was that the Friends of Historic Preservation that brought that up? I don't know how other people feel about those Definitely. details. Yeah, I, sure. Yeah, I thought, I thought there were a number of good recommendations mm -hmm. without going through them. I don't, I don't know that any of them I would say I disagreed with. I think they're all worth considering personally. Uh, so I know that, again, you had some questions for council. And well, I think I think the, the maybe the the first one that could could end at all is: Are you comfortable with the mass and scale as presented now? 
and if the answer is no, um, do you think you could get comfortable with a, a five-story or a four, you know, at, at what point do you think you become comfortable? Is it three, four, five? Um, because I think the rest yeah. will kind of fall into place once we get a sense of your willingness to accept scale. And, and I guess I, I did state, you know, the three things, and that was one, going to the five stories. Yeah, I'm not comfortable with six. I'm not either. I'm, I'm, I'm not either. comfortable as it's presented. Again, I, I don't know that, you know, it may be possible with a, with a, with a very different approach in terms of building articulation, the use potentially of open space to help with that articulation. But as presented, I think it clearly would require um, a, re, a reworking. I guess also where I come down is, and this you know involves negotiation, obviously, is I I would hate to see us make a decision that okay you know here here's our line, and the developer says okay forget it I can't work with that, and then we end up with all four of these properties raised, mm -hmm. and end up with a 35 foot high block scale building because I think then you're probably almost as bad off as anything else that mm -hmm. could be. So I guess I say that to say, without a whole lot of guidance, see what else you can negotiate. Sure. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, I, what you just just described is, is really the, the worst scenario. And uh, as much as I think those of us who would like to preserve the building have um, concerns about what goes up next to it, the thought of that is even more problematic. So it, you know, I, I have been concerned, and this is sort of on a citywide basis, with the loss of our lot size type development. And the more we end up consolidating and seeing block form buildings, that's a transformational change. So I, I, I do want to try, aside from preserving this building, the, the scale of smaller buildings I think is an important uh, strategy we should be exploring. And that can be accomplished in a larger project. From my perspective, I really feel like um, I will hope that the staff can convey that this is just the start of the conversations. Hopefully, with whatever we've talked about today, uh, the, the developers clearly hear. Um, you know, the many voices of council and that um, they can find uh, a way to um, maybe uh, a path to give us somewhat what we want um, for the community, you know, and um, so hopeful that you all will be able to navigate. Yeah. Did we give enough direction or did we have enough conversation among ourselves about these specific things like density, parking, and reduced open space? Should we articulate that a little better? I don't have a problem with reduced parking, particularly given the proximity to the university. Um, with the right design, I don't have a problem with increased density. I do, I'd be concerned about how much open space reduction we would give. Because I think it is important for people to have some place, some space outside. So it's a bit iffy for me on that one. That's 
pretty much where I would be as well. I'd be okay reducing parking. My concern, I would correlate my concern with the height and the scale of this building with the lack of open space, right? It looks like they're just really trying to maximize no setbacks, no open space, you know, less parking. Um, and that, that seems um, too extreme to me. So, you know, I'd be willing, like the height consideration has to relate, I think, to that open space, like the concept of a taller building, as John was saying, maybe done in a way that isn't so extreme. I don't. I, I would agree with Susan and Laura. In some ways, when I step back from this, I look and say, well, the, the, the previous council made a decision, and now we're in this somewhat awkward position looking at those, at those two buildings because the previous council couldn't uh, muster a supermajority for whatever reason because of property rights. So we, we need to look at that and, and think about that as well, and I agree with what the Historic Preservation Commission stated, which is I think that going forward we should consider perhaps a more holistic approach to this sort of issue because this is not the first time it's come up it won't be the last time it comes up i do wonder if we have a little more discussion on increased density because um you know now they could go in uh, you know the square footage becomes really small in order to in increase the number of occupants um, so I don't know if people have any comments about about that. I, you know, on one level I, I hear students saying, you know, give me a closet, and, yeah, you right. know, and, and I'll sleep in it, you know, as long as the rents are, you know, low. Um, so I, I think at least from my perspective, just to have some type of intentionality about the conversation when it comes down to increased density, of course. I don't know if they know what their market rate will be or the rates they'll have for the properties, but I think that is something that I, I at least wanted to mention, that it is important, um, the, the density. I, all, I, I do foresee this always being a student um, you know, run and lived in a property. And so um, it's just that density, just need to have a little intentional conversation surrounding that. Density is kind of a, a it's a complicated, uh, and not, it's not even clear to me, what, what do, what's the intent there when we say increased density, what are we, what does that mean? Do you have a, did you have something? I mean, I guess the way I would look at it is, is, staff, is staff is asking us, are we willing to look at density higher than what the current code is? And to me, it, it, I'm not how, are, how are we measuring density? Dwelling units per acre. Units not, per not acre. The size, because, not the size, not the actual it, size. The, the, another way of measuring density would be occupancy levels. I mean, there are a number of units. three-bedroom nope. units in, these, in, this, in this proposal which means fewer units, but a fairly large number of occupants. So are we talking occupant density or unit density? Um, it's just a little unclear to me. It, it's dwelling units per acre. Right. And, um, Under the PRM and RM44? Yeah, uh -huh. and, and it, it does change um, the size of the unit changes the density calculation changes based on whether it's a one-bedroom, two-bedroom, or three-bedroom unit. So the one-bedroom is allows the highest density um, versus a three-bedroom, which would be a lower density. Mm -hmm. 
Anything else for staff? All right, thank you. All right, any other comments on this from counselors? No. All right, we are going to move on to transit study. We're excited to hear about this. Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, Councilors. Darian Nagel-Gam, Transportation Services Department. I'm here to provide you with a brief update on the transit study. If you can believe it, we're about halfway through the planning process, so I'm excited to share some updates with you about where we're at and where we're going from here. Great. First and foremost, just to revisit who's all involved in the transit study. So of course, Iowa City is the lead agency, but we have partnered with CANBUS, with the University of Iowa, and with the city of Corville. We've also reached out to many different stakeholder groups in the community, and that's um, advocacy groups, um, economic development organizations, schools, civic organizations, um, various committees sustainability groups has really been a lot of folks that we've reached out to in the community who have um, who have helped us along in this process. Nelson Nygaard is our consultant team that's been helping guide us through this process. Um, they've got experience across the United States in helping communities just like ours um, walk through their transit studies and a revision of their transit system. And last but not least, um, the public has been a very important uh, participant in the study, and we'll walk through a little bit more about um, what our public outreach has looked like. Um, also, I'd like to just revisit some of the goals with the transit study. Um, to bring these to the forefront of your mind. And of course, first and foremost, we're really looking at ways that we can increase ridership. So that means making transit more dependable for those who rely on it every day. And we're making, and our goal is to make transit an easier choice for those that have more mobility options. And we've even uh, laid down a very uh, explicit goal um, and a, a high reaching goal, but um, of doubling our ridership over the next 10 years. So it's pretty lofty, but um, we think with the correct service design um, and some new initiatives, we, we, can, we can get there. We also have a goal of working better across our agencies. Of course, we're really a three agency system, transit system in the metro area, and we're increasingly connected and we have people traveling across our metro area um, every single day. So we're really trying to create a more streamlined experience for our customers and make it um, easier and make things more similar across our agencies. I would say one of our one of our biggest goals, um, besides increasing ridership, you know, the question of how do you get to that increased ridership is really removing barriers to transit use. So that's anything from improving our service levels to actually making it a service that meets people's needs or better meets people's needs, to improving our trip planning capabilities, um, improving the information distribution, making transit easier for people to understand, easier to access. Um, you know, getting that data out there um, so that people don't have to memorize the system. They can, you know, dial it up on their phone. It can be very easy for people to choose transit. We also want to make our transit stops more comfortable, um, and that could be anything from amenities like benches or trash cans or some shelter. Um, some of our new bus shelters have solar lighting at night. That's been really well received through the community. So just how can we improve those things so people are comfortable when they're at transit stops? 
And I would say the last barrier that we're really looking to tackle is simplifying the system. Again, some people look at transit and it seems so complicated to them. So how can we structurally make our transit system easier for people to use, easier for people to understand? Of course, another goal um, ties right in with our climate action initiatives and our climate action plan, and that's just reducing greenhouse gas emissions. We all know that transportation is a major contributor to greenhouse gas emissions in this community. And the climate action plan calls for us to, to enable a shift of 55% of vehicle trips to more sustainable modes, biking, walking, transit comes to mind, um, to meet our greenhouse gas reduction goals by the year 2050. And we don't want to forget um, supporting the local economy. I mean, that's the transit system connects people to jobs, people to shopping trips, people to social activities every single day. Um, that keeps our local economy running strong. So we want to make sure that we are building a system for the future that helps support that and grow that aspect. And then last but not least, leveraging emerging technology. This is where things get kind of exciting because, um, you know, we're in, as Councillor Thomas mentioned earlier, we're in a pretty exciting time in terms of transportation and things are going to look very different in the next few years. We're in a time of transition and so it's a good point to stop and evaluate what sort of emerging technologies are out there right now that we can leverage today to help make public uh, transportation and mobility better for our community. So those are our goals. Uh, I'm just going to quickly transition to what is included in ICATS. That's the Iowa City Area Transit Study. You might see that acronym a few times. Uh, just to briefly sort of run down the, the process here, but first and foremost, public outreach has occurred throughout the process, and I'll get a little bit more into detail on that on the next slide. But we've also conducted a market analysis to understand where our transit riders are, uh, where our potential transit riders are across the community. We have analyzed our existing service levels, and we've also developed some future service options and scenarios. Our consultant team has taken a lot of that feedback we've heard from the community, and we'll talk a little bit more about what those service scenarios might look like. And really, right now, where we're at in the process is we are evaluating some future service options and scenarios. So we're asking the community to do some, some tough work and to really evaluate the system and some, some actual alternatives and let us know what um, what they think and from that we'll be developing recommendations for what the transit system of the future might look like so public outreach phase one so i'm going to rewind take us all back in time to last fall um, just to give you an update of you know where how we how we got to where we're at today um, so basically from September to December, we held approximately 20 some stakeholder outreach meetings. We had three very well attended public open house meetings. We were able to sit down with 1,000 Iowa City Transit riders while they were on the bus and talk to them about how, um, how they use transit today, where are they going, um, what are the gaps they see in service or what service improvements would they like to see. We were able to get one, uh, 1,300, excuse me, uh, members of the public to submit a design your own transit system survey, which was um, really great. It helped um, us understand what the community's priorities are for transit system enhancements relative to each other. Of course, we all know, um, I think any one of us could design the ultimate transit system with unlimited funds and blank checks, but you know, we, we live in a world where we have um, you know, limited access to financial resources, so we really need to prioritize, and the community really helped us walk through uh, that with the 1,300 um, submissions. We were thrilled to see that kind of participation. 
And then last but not least, operator and staff interviews. So we sat down with our transit staff um, and said, what do you think? I mean, these are the people that are on the road every day that talk to customers every single day. What do you see as some things that we really need to take a hard look at in terms of our transit system? And on top of those meetings um, and those public outreach events, we did a lot of uh, communications and marketing. We put together a study website, an email list, um, did many group presentations just like this to anybody who would listen to me talk about um, transit. Uh, we reached out to some social service agencies and advocacy partners and had them, um, we had actually a partnership with the mobility coordinator at Johnson County and the community transportation committee who actually took iPads out into the community to our underserved um, folks who are probably the hardest people to, to reach in terms of getting that feedback um, about transit about transit use. And they were able to bring back 125 surveys out of those design your own system surveys, which was about 10% of those. So we were really thrilled about that. We also had an extensive social media campaign. You probably saw us in Facebook, Twitter, um, and also city media campaign. The communications um, crew did an excellent job. Um, there was many videos that were out there that highlighted our transit system in our study and um, really helped get the word out. And of course, we had legacy press, you know, print um, and typical uh, historical news, uh, television news and print um, to get that word out. And really the goal for all of that um, outreach last fall was really to just understand the community's mobility priorities um, currently and where they wanted to go. So what you see up here on the computer is just an overview uh, of, and I know it's sort of hard to read, so I'll read some of the top ones to you, but this really summarizes the feedback we got from the Design Your Own uh, Transit System Survey. and this. This is really kind of the one graph that really shows you, that highlights um, what the community's desires are sort of stacked ranked from that first big public outreach push. And I think the best way to summarize it would be better weekend uh, service was really a most desired improvement. Uh, you could see Sunday service was at the top of the list, but also earlier and later Saturday service. Um, route and schedule information at stops, that one ranked very high. Um, they want, uh, the public wants to see more information so they can walk up to a stop and have some information there about when the buses are going to be coming. Uh, another one uh, that I was uh, a little bit surprised at, but also not surprised, I suppose, uh, more lighting at major stops. Um, judging by how well received the lighting in our new transit shelters has been received by the communities, um, um, that one, uh, you know, it's a clear indicator that we need to do, be doing more of that. Frequent weekday rush hour service. Um, we did hear both in the onboard survey and through the design your own system survey that frequent service is um, at the top of people's list. Uh, more frequent service so you think less about when the next bus is coming. You know you just get to a stop and a bus is going to be there before too long. So that was um, at the top of both surveys. Of course, later weekday service we did hear from the community that um, they want to be able to take buses more places in the evenings. And then direct service from outlying residential areas also was ranking high, more frequent Saturday service, more benches, shelters. It's again, those transit amenities. And I won't read them all to you, but just to give you a sense of what's sort of at the top of um, the public's mind from that first big public outreach push. So that brings us to today. So we're right now, we're in our public outreach phase two, and that's really from January um, up until March. And really what we're asking the public to do now is to review three alternate service scenarios and then one sort of vision scenario. And I'll take you through them on the next slide briefly. But 
In terms of the outreach, we've presented those scenarios online. We've also, we had three very well attended um, public open house meetings. You can tell that the public really cares. There was lines three, five, six people deep in, um, from every transit staffer and every consultant that was in the room um, and every city staffer who was in the room to ask questions, um, give feedback. So we were really thrilled to have that kind of engagement. We've also published all those meeting materials online for anyone to review who wasn't able to attend. We have a formal survey online as well where the public can, it's a lot to digest, um, and I'll show you the maps on the next slide, but um, it's a lot for, for the public to digest even in one meeting. A lot of folks asked some questions, pointed out some things, but they really needed to take those maps home and just study them, which we understand. So we provided an online survey um, that's linked to our website where the community can take some time, review, respond to both the scenarios or just individual route changes that they had comments on. We've also had, uh, for the second um, outreach push, we've had an extensive social and city media campaign. Again, the communications team has done a really great job helping us get that word out. And we're, again, working with our community partners, as we did in the first round, to help make sure those um, who maybe um, aren't going to be the ones who come and attend meetings or don't have easy access to um, a, you know, a mobile device uh, to take the survey on, that we're getting um, those folks, we're getting those folks to the survey to help them take it. So in terms of those three scenarios that we have, uh, we're asking the public now for feedback on, they were developed based on the feedback that we heard from, from the community during our first public outreach push and based on expertise of our transit consultant staff. And they basically, each scenario has a different theme. The first scenario's theme, and I know this is a very small font, but the first one is frequency. So really the goal of that was to increase the frequency on the routes um, uh, to a point where 15-minute service is what you could provide on some of our uh, most important arterial streets in terms of transit service. I should, before I go any further, I should mention too, all of these three scenarios were developed using our current funding available. So basically what our consultant team did is they took our current budget they took all that feedback that we got from the community um, and all of their knowledge and expertise from, from doing this across the country, and they, they developed these three scenarios based on the financial resources we have available to us today. So it's sort of reimagining our transit system, and these would, this would be no additional dollars. Um, this is what we could do today. So again, frequency, the theme of the frequency uh, service was really to provide more frequent service. And a couple things you'll see between all the themes, it's kind of a theme that carries between the themes, if you will, is that the, the actual service was focused on arterials at our major streets um, to help get that frequency, which the community was asking for. Um, you'll also notice that in some areas where we probably had maybe what you could consider overlapping routes or areas that were served by multiple routes. You could have seen those combined to, um, to create a more efficient transit system. And in some areas where service was very low in ridership, that service has been reallocated to other areas. So those are ways in which they took our existing finances and then they sort of resorted them out based on the community priorities as they heard. Second uh, scenario is, I think the theme of that would be uh, simplified coverage, and that's again trying to, there's not as much frequency as in the frequency scenario, but it's also trying to make the routes easier, simpler for, um, and more efficient, but also easier for the community to understand. 
And then the theme of the third scenario was uh, restructuring and improving weekends and uh, evening service. So we did hear loud and clear that um, additional weekend service and weekend, excuse me, additional weekend service and evening service, later service during the evenings was um, towards the top of people's lists. So this gets at that particular, um, this is a way to get at um, increasing that service level at night and on the weekends. In addition, this is the only scenario in which um, ha there is a Sunday service component to it. The Sunday service component that was built into this into, with using our existing finances was a is a demand response service where the city is more or less split into four quadrants and um, to briefly give you a, a service overview. You would call for the service up to an hour before. You'd need a little time. And there would be one vehicle running in each quadrant of the city, and they would all meet back at the downtown interchange once an hour. So that's how, that's how, uh, that's how transfers would happen. So this was the only scenario in which, under our current resources, we were able to fit a type of Sunday service into it. And we'll talk more about some of those other options. But this is, again, these are the three scenarios that we, we took to the public, and, and they've been providing us feedback um, on what their thoughts are. So we also, and I've mentioned this a few times as well, but we also asked the consultant team to help us walk through what we could what we could do to enhance our services if we had additional financial resources um, allocated uh, towards our system. And they came up with uh, all of these options on the screen. The first one that you all know that we've been evaluating is zero fare transit. Um, the second one is they, they came up with a scenario where they placed 15-minute uh, service on 11 different corridors, which would be pretty remarkable level of service. You really wouldn't have to think a lot about transit service. You'd just have to be able to get to your nearest arterial street. Um, so it would be 15-minute service during the day and a 30-minute service during the evening. That would be very um, high-level, high-quality um, frequency of service. Another option would be providing full fixed route service on Sundays from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. and every 30 minutes. Um, taking that service so it operates to midnight daily, that would require additional resources, but again, that was something that we heard from the community. Another option would be to provide some sort of an on-demand night owl uh, service uh, from 11 a.m. to 6 a.m. And this is for the folks in the community that we heard from who have third shift jobs. They don't necessarily have easy transit system closes down at night. And this would be an alternative um, for those folks. Another enhanced service option is to provide some on-demand service in areas that are not within a quarter mile of fixed routes. So one aspect of those three scenarios, if you look at the maps a little closer, you will notice that it does, um, in order to provide the frequency um, of service, it's some the coverage areas somewhat retracts from our current coverage areas. So this is a way to help support those who live at a greater distance from, from um, the proposed transit system designs. Another service is a 30-minute Saturday service from 7 a.m. until midnight. So that's every half an hour. That would increase our um, service levels to what we have today. And then it would go later in the evenings. And then last but not least, a new crosstown route that connects uh, key destinations in south and west Iowa City without requiring a transfer downtown. So those are so those are things we heard from the community, and the consultant team has um, preliminarily begun to evaluate some potential options um, for add-on services. The startup capital costs for all of these combined um, is estimated conservatively and preliminarily to be 
12 million at this point, and that's capital cost. So that's what we would need, those the buses that we would need to, to get this full program rolling. And in addition, um, all of those vision items would require about 18 million in ongoing operational costs. That would be annual operational costs. And to put that in perspective, our operational costs are between seven and eight million per year currently. So it's it's um, 100, it's double, uh, slightly over double um, in terms of what our operation costs are currently today to give you sort of a, a framework. All of this will be, um, we'll be providing more details as we as we move through the transit study on the individual costs and the ridership benefits for each one of these, so that um, you know we can sit down and, and you can put some deliberation to each one of these and determine if any of these are options that we want to pursue for the community. Really quickly, I'll, I'll zip through this, but other items, we aren't just evaluating the transit system design, although that's the biggest part of it, and that's what's been occupying most of our time for the last few months, but we're also, again, looking at, we're doing a fare analysis, um, including zero fare. We are, of course, developing strategies to improve our interagency coordination. How can we work better with Coralville and Canvas in order to provide service in our community? We are um, asking the consultants to help us develop a electric vehicle or alternate fuel vehicle. Um, there's multiple options out there currently. A no or low emission vehicle transition plan, so we're very excited about that. We're also looking at interchange improvements. That's one thing we're hearing from the community um, is that uh, you know we need more amenities and our interchange maybe, it's a great location, but there's also some drawbacks to that location. So they're helping us look at pedestrian access, um, operational flow, um, bus capacity, and you know that location in general. Is that the ideal location for us? We're also looking at bus stop improvements, um, and, uh, both evaluation of what amenities are out there and what exist at current bus stops and also bus stop spacing guidelines. There's a, there's a balance between access and, and providing efficient transit, um, and so they're helping us to figure out what, where that should be. We're also looking at just some general policies and procedures, especially as, as they connect to our other community partners. And then, of course, um, you know, we're really curious about the innovative transit solutions that are out there today and, and what we can do, um, how we can leverage those and, and provide better transit. So last slide, next steps. So phase two of public input, which is what we're in right now, wraps in late February. So basically at the end of the week. Um, so far we've had 800 um, people um, weigh in to our survey online and give us some detailed feedback. So we're really looking forward to starting to dig into that. Um, from that point, we're once we get through all of the feedback that we've received and that we've got from the public meetings and from our surveys online, We'll be working with the consultant team to develop a preferred scenario um, with the final recommendations coming this summer, and we expect to bring a plan to you this summer uh, for your consideration. I would say the earliest that the community could see any changes would be fall of 2020, but that seems like a really lofty goal. Speaking of lofty goals, that might be a stretch. There's a lot that would have to go into even implementing some of these pieces, and, and it just it might be more realistic to think 2021, but um, but we're not we're not counting out yet. So we're still optimistic. And then, of course, depending on what those priorities are that we identify, um, implementation could ultimately be phased. So it just it's really going to depend on what we determine at the end of the day is the right way forward, and what we can do, and um, how how funding aligns with all of those things. So thank you for being so patient. I appreciate it. Let me know um, if there's any questions I can answer for you. Um, 
I really, you know, I'm very glad that you're adding this step. This is really moving forward and very happy to see this, like, moving. Uh, my question is, just remind me, how many languages you use for the survey? So for, for the survey, so the onboard survey, we had a printout that we handed out that was uh, in English and Spanish. For the online surveys, they're Google Translate translatable. So it was, uh, you could provide feedback, um, you could review using the Google Translate option in any of 100 languages, is my understanding. But why you don't have Arabic language, and you know that you have a big community who speak Arabic in this community, and all of them, they, most of them, I can say 99%, they use uh, you know, the, the pass to go to Kirkwood Community College and do this. And by the way, I don't, how, many, how many big is the survey? The survey is, this round of the survey is long. The pages is long because we offer an opportunity um, oh, the first one, the one. Oh, the that first one. The first one. Oh, good goodness! I don't remember it. Maybe ten pages because it's pr it's printing off a web form, so there's a lot of space in between them. But the actual content, I would say, is probably a couple pages long, two, three. Sort of a multi. Because choice. this is really not in us like a lot money to translate those kind of document. Uh, we we translate one hour of translation is cost twenty five dollars. And I don't know why the city is not like doing that, if we want to include everyone. I, I asked you before, I guess long time ago, I said we should include when we have the meeting at the county. And I said we should include some kind of language, Arabic language, Spanish language. And I said if you need like people who can translate, we have. And I guess this, you know, kind of uh, study have a lot of budget into it, and I think that you can include the survey. Now we are missing really people who don't speak English, and they ride the bus. And this is not fair. And I was, somebody has told me that when they went to the, this kind of meeting, those people wasn't there because they don't know, and you are not providing translation. We talked about this a lot. I don't know why the city is not moving forward on that. But this is something that you need to like keep in mind on it. And right now, those three scenarios, you know, it is very important for those people to choose one of them. I don't know. You are really far away in the process. I don't know how you can include those people right now. But my recommendation is to reach out to those people. Absolutely. We did have, um, if, I can, if I may respond, we did have um, uh, instructions for using Google Translate for our first round of public outreach on the website. So we did, we did put some posters up for this round of public, um, for this round of public input for our transit study. We did have flyers on the buses in Arabic, Chinese, Spanish, French, and there was one more that's escaping me right now. So. So yes, while it's it's much it, it proved to be very difficult to translate in, in a time sense to individually translate each one of those documents that were online for our surveys, but we were hoping to rely on the use of Google Translate, which sort of does it automatically. That doesn't make for sense for Arabic. It give you because Arabic is from left to right. It can make sense for Spanish. Uh, it can make sense for that as a language. But for Arabic, because Arabic is like from right to the left, it really makes up the word and you cannot do it. 
And I guess city need to spend money for that. There is people here professional on translating documents. If you don't know them, I can't show it to you. You know, I can't give you the contact information. We at the Center for Worker Justice, we do that. We pay them money so they can uh, translate documents for us. And I think the city better do that if that organization can do it. Those people are taxpayers. They need to be included. And I guess if they are paying taxes, we can spend a little bit of money so we can reach out to them. I, I don't know. I wanted to at least make some comments on the study. This is very <laughs> uh, lofty, <laughs> to say the least. Very, um, a lot of the things that you've mentioned um, were some of the things that I didn't even think was a part of the study. So I do appreciate that. I was happy to hear about the 11 corridors with 15-minute uh, service during the day and 30 at night. Um, just in theory, initially, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, one of the things that I'm hoping, and I, and I think um, um, Maz do bring up an important, you know, concern is um, along the way, you know, she mentioned, you know, um, individuals that were potentially excluded because of language. One of the things that is that I kind of zone in on is just um, what what is something in this study that I really want to make sure is kind of like central uh, to staff knowledge and to um, even our um, consultants' uh, knowledge. And so that's something that I do think that the council uh, really should be considering. If there is a hot topic item that you really want to see a part of this transit study or you really want um, maybe there's something that hasn't been mentioned that you want to talk about um, that you kind of make sure that it's in the mix and on the um, the staff is aware so that our consultants could at least navigate that um, on some level now of course individual counselors you know uh, there's something to be said about that except um, I do believe that we don't want to come to um, when the study is being presented this summer and then there's a whole new thought process that kind of um, either the full council get on, get on board with or we're having um, individuals kind of, you know, um, present a new uh, item that uh, might be of interest to navigate. Nevertheless, I'm uh, very pleased to hear um, the public engagement, the transit riders. Um, we're also, you know, being on the bus, engaging with the transit riders. Um, I think that's positive. I was really impressed that the staff was actually a part of this because sometimes I think um, we might um, rely on consultants, you know, to give us data. Um, and, and they do great from statistical data. But this was actually including the staff, and so I just appreciated that aspect as well. Um, one of the things that I saw, and it was at the bottom, and of course, um, it, it kind of hurt my heart a little bit where it talked about um, improve access to stops. And so when I hear the word access, I think of ADA. And so of all that list, 
88 was at the bottom. And so um, that's something that I think that, and, and I don't know who, you know, who took the polls, um, but I think 88 is something that we must plan for. And so that's my comments. Thank you. Any other comments? One, one question I have is, you know, the, the goal of the increased ridership doubling in 10 years, is, is that being tracked in the alternatives and, you know, all the, the thinking that's going into how we revise the system? Yes, I would say one of the explicit goals is to create a system that has the service levels that will enable a doubling of our ridership. Another factor, so it, yes, so increasing frequency is, is a big piece of that. Um, that's a, it's a clear winner in terms of inc inc improving uh, and increasing ridership levels, but also um, zero fare is another um, way that communities across the country are really taking a hard look um, at reevaluating their transit systems. And the preliminary estimates we're seeing from communities who have transitioned in the last 10 years or transitioning now is we could expect 40 to 60 to 70% ridership increases. And sometimes it's pretty, qu it's usually pretty quick. Um, there's a quick um, increase when, when the, the fares are eliminated and then there's, there's been a steady increase in the, in the data I've seen. Um, so I think those two things and providing the service at the right locations is also another piece of it. So it's that uh, market analysis that we did is not just telling us where our transit riders are at now, but also where are our potential transit riders at and providing the right level of service um, at the right places um, would also go a long way towards helping us reach that goal. Is it, yeah, I mean, we're not spread out over the 25 square miles of Iowa City evenly, so. Right. I mean, there's, there are inherent advantages to try to, improve, in my mind, improve service where you have the higher densities, you know, so it, it's, and then also projected growth. You know, we had a presentation by staff recently about where can we anticipate, um, at least potentially, where, where within the, the current limits of Iowa City now can we expect to see growth and at what levels? <coughs> And I, I was astonished to, to hear that over, I think, 50% of our potential growth within the city limits is within the riverfront crossings area. So, I mean, in terms of looking ahead, mm -hmm. the way in which our population is distributed in Iowa City could change dramatically. So how that might be reflected in at least our understanding of, of our mobility options, of which transit is one of them. I think to that point specifically, you see an increased level of service on Gilbert Street uh -huh. um, specifically to help carry that forecasted growth um, okay. from Riverfront Crossings District into the downtown. Uh -huh. So you'll see that theme um, throughout. Okay. Just say real quick as we wrap this up, um, as you start to plan ahead for your deliberations on this, this is probably a, one of those very rare items that will require uh, a special meeting of council. We'll see how it all comes to, 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 to be at the end, but I don't think this is the type of item that you would put on an agenda um, and, and ask folks to come and you know wait an hour or two for that agenda item to be called. You're probably gonna look at a special work session, uh, maybe two um, to be able to fully receive the report, allow the public to receive the report, and then I 
fully expect there will be a lot of public comment on this um, and probably a lot of emotion behind that public comment so we'll have to get into that as as the report wraps up but um, as we look into summer and fall just know that we may need um, some special meetings uh, when the full I say when the full council's here to, to be able to um, fully consider that and take that public input anything else With respect to languages, um, I, I think there are ways to, to approach it even now, which could include reaching out to certain community, community leaders or community groups, the the the, the Sudanese community, the the Congolese community, others. If we believe, if we have reason to believe that they've uh, been in particular underrepresented and they are probably heavy users of the community, I think there are still also ways to ameliorate that. I can help you on that for both communities if you want to. Okay, great. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. Yes. All right, let's move on to clarification of agenda items. I have notes here about um, item 9H and 9I, which are the the parking restrictions in um, on Raven Street and Elmridge. Uh, I had some questions about that, so I don't know if perhaps pulling them from the consent calendar so we could discuss them separately. Mm -hmm. We can certainly do that. Is there anything you want to mention now? Well, I, I'm, I'm concerned with the process and that that was taken in terms of outreach and engagement with those residents on those two streets and um, understanding better what that what that process was. We certainly received a lot of um, in emails from, from residents, so I, I think it would be logical to pull it and discuss it. And that would be 9G and H. Wait. H and H and I. H and I. I guess head up. I I will be recuse myself from item number 14. And the center for work. I guess this is one of the beneficial. Okay. Any other items? I did just want to mention, um, not to get in any discussion on item 11C, which is 12 East Court Street, I want to just mention to the counselors that um, you may have received um, four potential um, amendments to the resolution before you. So this might be your first time kind of seeing the language, just to look over it, see if there's any concerns with the language. We will navigate that in our meeting, but I just at least wanted to mention that um, before we go into the meeting. But uh, of course, discussions on any of this, I really think we should wait for the public um, so that they can hear it as well. Sure. 
All right. Seeing there is nothing else on the formal agenda. Um, info packet for February 6th. mentioned IP3, the budget uh, compliance document. There's a lot of, if you take a few minutes even just to skim through that, there's a lot of information there. Um, you know, just property valuations, largest property taxpayers, et cetera. Um, just, there's a lot of really good statistics in there, and I think especially if you go back, I don't know, how long have we been doing this, Jeff? Have we, it's just been a long time, annual thing. I don't kind know. I'd have to defer to the finance staff on that. <laughs> <laughs> we started that when we adopted the new debt uh, management policy. Okay. I'm guessing that was about four years ago, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Dennis. But I think if you go back and look at it annually and just kind of look at them side by side and do some comparison, it just gives you a good idea of how some of these statistics change in terms of, you know, our valuations and, you know, our gross numbers in terms of property taxes, et cetera. So mm -hmm. definitely worth spending a little time on. Yep. All right, moving on to IP for February 13th. Just a reminder, IP6, is the whole council involved in that meeting tomorrow? Yes. Okay, yes. so I thought from three to five, so the, with the school district on the form-based code. So mm -hmm. just a reminder to everybody. Anything else from IP February 13th? All right, moving on to council updates on assignment, on assigned boards, commissions, and committees. And if I am correct, we're gonna start with Councilor Burgess today. All right, well, um, you know, I serve on the board for the UNESCO City of Literature. And um, the One Book, Two Book Festival is happening this weekend. There is a banquet recognizing student authors on Friday evening and then festivities all day Saturday and then additional um, student authors speaking on Sunday at McBride Auditorium. So um, definitely check out the City of Literature's website for the schedule of that, but that, that I think was the majority of what we've covered in our last meeting. Um, and also uh, the serve on the ICAD board and we have the um, state of the schools informational session on the 27th at the Englert, um, which is just an update for the entire community. Any, any member of the public is welcome to attend that. But. Nothing for me. Okay. Nothing for me either. Haven't met. Yeah, nothing for me. Haven't met. Nothing for me. Um, I sat in on a meeting of the uh, Police Community Review Board, or at least the, the portion of it that I could sit in on before they went into executive session, just to have a chance to, to meet the people and introduce myself as the liaison. Uh, yeah, go ahead. All right. And I don't... There is nothing for me except I will be a part of the one book, two book. 
on uh, Sunday, and so looking forward to that opportunity. So, Great. yeah, yeah. Mm. If there is nothing else, then we will see you at seven. Oh, done on time.